I've got the sparse, the sickness, there's the twins in my brain. Welcome to today's uh, episode. This is the uh, a new podcast, the first episode, uh, performance uh, podcast. Uh, the first guest is the first guest is Stein Stills, and we're going to talk about uh, performance and cycling in general. Um, what um, what food to eat, supplements, uh, training, performances of Vingegaard in the, the in the time trial. Uh, Based on data, who we think is going to win uh, the Vuelta, um, everything uh, that has something to do with performance is uh, a topic. A topic in this uh, podcast. Welcome to today's episode, Stein Steels. Hi, hello everybody. Um, the first uh, question is not uh, about data uh, about the data yet, but about you. Um, how? Um, you were uh, a cyclist with uh, Sport Vlaanderen uh, first, and then you went over to Rompot and then to uh, Quickstep. Tell us a bit more about what kind of rider you were in your career. Well, I started first at the Kreland Euphony, which probably was the smallest pro-continental team uh, of Europe. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I went to Sport Vlaanderen. Uh, the team where all young guys, young talents can develop themselves. Uh, but now you must add those two years, I was uh, the first two years I was there, we were able to win the Europe Tour. So we were quite high level. Um, a lot of the guys uh, became really good pros. Um, and then after some years, uh, it was quite soon clear for me that my, if I wanted to build up a nice career, uh, I had to try to be a good domestic, um, and um, so in that role, I got on the radar of uh, Verandas Willems, where they signed uh, Tim Erlief and Wout van Aert as team leaders. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was here; I could uh, ride here for them. Um, then, of course, there were some transfer troubles. Um, and we were, uh, they merged together with Rompot. Uh, and then after the Rompot year, I could ride three years for quick steps, but always as a domestic rider. Yeah, I think, um, myself included, uh, a lot of people underrate, um, how, uh, an high level being a domestic in uh, world tourists. Um, I tweeted something about uh, Justin Wolf. A, a month ago, I think, uh, about how I think that he would be a very good uh, domestic for uh, Bora. Uh, but I, it seemed like uh, that I underrated how hard it is to get in the final of a, of a Grand Tour stage to be able to deliver that domestic work because in the early stages of, a, of even a sprinter stage, uh, it can be really tough. Yeah, if you want to be a good domestic, you also have to produce numbers. It's not all about the numbers, but for example, when I uh, had to control in classics, um, for me, after mostly my job was done after three hours, three hours and a half. And for that, I had to produce was normalized power 380, 385. 
um, and that this with a neutral zone in it. So even a domestic uh, must be able to produce high numbers, um, which is, I think every, to be a world tour rider, it's, yeah, it's clearly underestimated what kind of effort it takes. Sometimes I read about guys who ride in continental teams and you see some discussions from, yeah, they should be able to go world tour, but the level in world tour is so high that uh, you, you never count underestimate things. But of course, it's not only about producing the watts, it's also producing them in the right moments, but also have the tactical view, know when to push hard, know when you not have to push hard. You must be able to ride in the peloton, what maybe is the biggest, one of the biggest um, misunderstandings that it's quite hard. Sometimes you see big talents and they, in uh, field tests, they produce the big numbers, but in the peloton, they can't produce any results because they're always at the critical moments. They can't feel the they can't feel the rhythm of the peloton. They not, sometimes it's just about hitting high numbers for two three minutes. But if you're not in the right moments at the right spots, you will never produce. You will you will be never you will never uh, play a significant role in a team, and that's also important. I think a good example of that is Jay Vine. Like his watts are yeah insane. He shared them until the Vuelta uh, last year, and was yeah uh, re- really insane watts because um, the watts uh, were already a very high level. But apparently, I used the too high weight, so they were even better. Um, but he would yes, all the quali- uh, qualities for a, to be a, a good GC rider. He also has a very good TT, but he is just so bad at bike handling like every descent he has to use a lot of energy and that's if he would go for gc that's also uh, always going to cost him so that's yeah a pity uh, find a special case because he already has quite huge palmeras but still he uh you see that's a guy he can produce numbers but he has almost zero bike handling skills i think he crashes one out of three races he crashes, um, yeah. which is really dangerous for him, also dangerous for the peloton itself. Yeah. Uh, but he has the advantage, he's such a good, physically such a strong rider that he still can produce the results. But you have other guys on Zwift that also are unbeatable when it's just about the numbers, but they don't have the skills to place himself in the peloton. They don't know how to ride the bike. They don't know how to descend, and they they can produce numbers, but they never get into the finals just because of their positioning. Yeah, uh, that's it's such a big factor. Like even if I do a, a group ride of 30 kilometers average, and uh, I uh, ride uh, close to the wheel, uh, I can I can ride in a group pretty well, I think. But other guys can't, and they. Um, so in corners they are far behind. Um, they don't ride. Uh, they don't ride close to the wheel. And even at such such low speeds, there is a big difference in my average watts and their average watts. So if you look uh, at that for a whole race with 45 kilometers an hour average, that's yeah, such a big difference. Yeah, correct. But it's not even. It's not about pushing the watts. It's just about being in the right place at the right time um, so, yeah. especially, especially in 
races in Belgium, uh, Holland. Uh, it's all, it's always, it's almost all the time. It's determined by three minutes, three minute effort. And if you're well placed during that three minute effort, and you can choose the watch, you're in, you're in the final. If bad placed, you, you just, you're, you're stuck behind the rest. And it's not, uh, I think some followers always overestimate the importance of the really high watts. Um, of course, it does matter in mountain stages. And like in Tour de France this year, you see to get in the breakaway, you must have the numbers. But the, uh, the knowledge how to race and um, when, yeah, just feeling how the pellet, how a bunch is racing is equally important than just putting on watts. That's a good moment to um, talk about uh, how you train. Um, I think um, in the earlier years of cycling, like Eddie Merckx, Roger de Vlaming, they uh, trained five hours and they went full gas from beginning to the end. And now it's extremely polarized did you feel that evolution in your career too or yeah for me for me it was a bit different than all the riders because in the past i did athletics and i was also a track rider and the knowledge of training was in both track cycling as in athletics was i think uh uh they were like 10 years earlier than how they train on the on the road. Uh, when I saw my first years, indeed, there were a lot of pros who just said, uh, we're going to do a five hour, and the only thing that matters was the average speed in the end. Um, but I quite soon skipped those trainings. Um, even on training camps with the other guys, uh, when they did another five hour ride, uh, I did my own training of two hours where I went to a little hill and I sprinted up 10 times and I went home. And they said, ah, you only do, you only trained two hours today. What's wrong? But I knew I had produced more quality than the other guys. So I was, I was always a bit earlier than most of the guys in the training development. Uh, but also for me, the um, let's say in hours I produced the last year, maybe my volume was maybe. 25, 30% higher than I was in my, than it was in my first year of professional cyclist. So that's it. The intensity I already had in my first years, but the total volume went up. So that's, that was for me the biggest difference. But I think the way, um, yeah. So um, in the beginning, you're, I was also in smaller teams. So that's also a bit harder to, um, to compare, but I think the level you were of uh, the level they controlled you made also a big difference. Last year at Quick Step, yeah, every training was, of course, every training was uh, was monitored. And in the first years, you could do whatever you want as long as you were at level in the races, it was fine. And what you did at home, it didn't really matter for them. Uh, it really goes uh, far with uh, polarized training these days. Um, I uh, wrote an article about Victor Kampenaars before Omloop Nieuwsblad, and he doesn't even do 
threshold anymore. He only does uh, does or uh, zone one, zone two, or full out, nothing in between. It, did you also do that, or did you still do some thresholds uh, because you uh, needed to yeah chase the the break? Um, when I most of, most of my efforts were also allowed. This camp is a little bit more extreme in those stuff. Um, I did a lot of VO2 max intervals. It was kind of my favorite training session. And I think I did it twice a week. Um, but I did it in combination. I never did only VO2 max, but for example, I did uh, uh, three sessions, uh, three ses sessions of 10 minutes, uh, 30-30s. And then I mixed it with one, uh, within between one session of like, five or six minutes at threshold just to make a little switch. Um, but pure threshold training where I did really long efforts at threshold. First, it's already hard to do it in Belgium because yeah. uh, of that road. Uh, <laughs> it's almost impossible. Uh, and also I really, I didn't need it. And when I was last year, or I had to control a bunch, but I knew my aerobic capacity was quite enough to do it for a long time. Or I needed to be in the lead out, and then I needed to have those really hard impulses. So I did both of them. So tier two max, uh, allowed training, sometimes a little bit of thresholds, and all the rest was really easy pace. Okay, so that's about the same as as Campanars on. I, th I think the the only uh, thresholds uh, effort he did was to uh, was a 20 minute test like two or three weeks uh, before uh, Omloop News, but to yeah, it was just a test from from Lotto to test every rider a five yeah, and 20 minute sure. test. Yeah. yeah. Also, it it also did, I I always checked what I what what. Um, What's my job during the next weeks or months? And I trained. That was and I trained for that. I wasn't made to. For me, it was never a goal when I needed to race in Spain in the mountains. I knew normally there would never be a problem to finish to finish the stage. Um, so I never trained to go all out for 20 minutes. But I knew it was important to have my one minute power my uh, like seated 30 seconds i did a, a really a lot of times and i needed to of course you need at first you need to base but you practice it all winter to have the right base to build up your training and then i just trained for what was needed during the races but like long threshold training for me i never had to do it in a race so i didn't train for it um, about uh testing how did uh quick step test their riders like in January, uh, the uh, old teams uh, always test uh, their riders to see where they are. How did Quickstep do that? Uh, first in winter, we did some indoor testing, but also it was like also for cardiac uh, results. Um, so we, that's based on the indoor tests, we took them before the first training camp in December. And, and then during training camps, um, we, also, we always had one test day. And it started always with a three-minute allowed session, um, just to look at your anaerobic power. 
um, and then about 45 minutes later, you had to do a 15 minute test um, to determine your thresholds. Um, and I did it on both days. So you were sure your anaerobic power or anaerobic energy was exhausted after the three minute test. And then when you did that 15 minutes, you had a quite, uh, it was a quite correct result. And that we repeated it two or three times a year. Yeah, about um, emptying like your uh, anaerobic capacity. Um, a lot of uh, people nowadays do a fresh 20 minutes test and they multiply that with uh, 0 0.95 and think that's their FTP. Um, but you need to do a, a five minute pull out efforts first. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, I also didn't know it. <laughs> so when I was with uh, back with Tos for Flanderen, we did a 20 minute test. And then we also uh, took 5% uh, off. And then we had our, uh, our anaerobic threshold, but you had results that were impossible to do. Right. You got the result, but you knew that it's impossible to have these numbers. Uh, and so it's first, uh, first you need to do an all out test. And then you feel when you do the longer test or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you just feel you're already, you can't go, you can't go over the limit. And that, that makes the, the value uh, way more, way more accurate. Yeah, I had uh, the same. I uh, all, also did it like that in 2021, I think. And then I went on endurance rides, uh, like four hours and I was completely empty, but yeah, that's not the purpose of a, uh, of endurance right it was just riding at zone three for four hours yeah but i also also think you need to be careful with your zones for me even uh, when i did tests all the time i had numbers that were i think it's because you're during a test maybe you're more focused or something like that but my numbers were during tests were always uh like 10 percent higher than i expect them to be on training uh so even when I started training, when I when I did uh, sessions, most of the time I started my session with a 20 minutes effort that felt quite comfortable, but not. I, but I didn't look at the numbers, and after uh, it was just uh, next to the canal, 20 from uh, sometimes it was 20 minutes, sometimes 22, 23, and then I had my number, and then I know okay, well, today. I have about this, uh, th these are my watts today, and then I counted a bit on them. But I think it's always dangerous to, if you uh, compare yourself always to a test of one day, it's always difficult to, I think it's a bit risky. So the feeling, how you feel on the bike is also important to determine uh, to determine what numbers you will push. Yeah, because, um... Like you say, it's the best to ride a bit on feel too. I think if it's if it's hotter, it's um, way tougher to push out uh, watts. You need to uh, go a lot slower on endurance rides, or when it's cold, that can um, mess up your lungs. So you need to go slower too. It's yeah, I, uh, feel is more important than end, what your GPS says. In the end, I always found it nice to check the watts afterwards. Um, also during all out efforts, uh, sometimes I really did my sessions and I pushed the laps, but my watch won't show on the bike. But then afterwards, 
I had like when I did uh, had a training, the most bizarre training I ever did, where I did seven times three minutes uh, VO2 max, but just how I felt. But the difference between all the efforts was like two watts. So it was perfectly balanced while I didn't, I didn't saw my numbers. And, but that's the way you learn to train. So, and then of course, I, I had a power meter since I was 16 years old. So if you write 16 years with, with power and data and you know a bit how it works, but yeah. um, I think for me, one of the biggest lessons for young cyclists is train with it, but also learn how your body feels during the efforts. So you're not lost when you're when your power is out you still have to you still must be able to produce the same training um and just check afterwards how your numbers were and then i think that gives a better your your training will behave better sensation oh you i think you will train more effective than you're just when you're focused on the numbers but you don't realize how your body feels during the effort yeah um and another example for that, last uh, summer I wanted to do some uh, tempo efforts, zone three, um, and my it was like 35 degrees. So I was doing what should be zone three for me, but yeah, I was Probably impossible to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in yeah. cases like that, you need to yeah, if you know your body a bit, just write on what feels like zone three and that yeah, will probably yeah. be better than riding uh, like holding that uh, amount of watts because yeah that's not a uh, good training then yeah of course of course um and then afterwards you do have a lot of software where you compare watts to heart rate and they give you numbers and so afterwards you always have a good uh, it's important to check it afterwards so you know what you've actually done and if you've overdone yourself you can uh, compensated with the next days but if you just focus on what's alone it might be your gut you, you you do the wrong sessions in the end and also there's so much difference in between power meters and so yeah. you always adjust the what you produce in the race it's really important but you must you always must remember it's just a tool and it also has this, it's not perfect so it's a guideline, but it's just the stress you put on your body is still the most important than just the power output on your pedals that's shown on your uh, on your device. Yeah, like I remember uh, Tau Geogenhardt and Damon uh, Arsman in Valencia, I think. So really early in the season, so they are not in top shape yet. Damon uh, Arsman even said he was overweight at the moment. And uh, both their power meter sets that they uh, rode at eight watts per kilo for 15 minutes. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's um, yeah. Some power meters are just yeah better than others. I um, I make uh, analyses on on Twitter and yeah uh, I did a lot of uh, analyses already. So now I know which power meters are to be trusted. So I some power power meters are just so inconsistent. Like that's yeah. But in the end, as long as they always, it doesn't really matter if they're two percent or three percent or five percent off. As long as they are consistent, consistent in their, uh, in the way they're of the yeah. limit, then there's no problem. 
that's what make it always that's what it makes if uh that's what makes it difficult to compare what's between riders because even if you have uh, a power meter from the same uh, from the same company it still can it's never it's never completely the same with everybody but as long as the as the power meter is consistent on its own you can trust it you have your numbers from the tests but never compare it with other riders or, or you won't have big difference but it when it is a difference of five percent at 500 watts it's, it's 25 watts it's a lot of so yeah. you are missing and then you heard guys yeah i pushed so many watts and i pushed so many watts and i was dropped and I say oh, no yeah i pushed 50 watts less and i was in the burn so there was no pride so <laughs> it's always it's always a difficult discussion talking about uh what's on the 20 minute test um um posted on twitter that he did his um best threshold ever in uh the last stage uh from the tour and i thought yeah 20 minutes on uh in the vogesen stage i thought yeah sounds right and then i saw the date and it was uh, for the champs Elysees stage <laughs> i was like huh yeah okay he wrote a strong stage like fred wright said that he was going so hard that it wasn't yeah it was it was crazy uh but yeah how can you explain someone doing his best hour on the on the champs Elysees? well it's clear the most underestimated stage is last hour out of the tour de france you say champs Elysees goes so hard but still i think it's quite impossible um for a guy like pogacar who races all out in the mountains to produce uh, produce it even sans disease as a downhill part so i think uh maybe the co- it's it's a bumpy road so maybe that gives some false information but i would uh, i wouldn't trust it it would be he pushed a lot of watts but it would be quite strange if it was his uh his best effort i think uh when he does tts or when he goes uh like when he uh when he won um in paris beginning of the year with all 20 minute efforts 20 minute climbs normally i think he produced more than uh he would have done yeah. uh, during uh during the last stage of the tour yeah, exactly like he had to um he had to be doing like 20 minutes at seven watts per kilo in champs Elysees. like he, he rode fast but not that fast <laughs> no 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 then 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 you clearly win the stage when you can do that <laughs> you, will, uh, you will win the stage with quite a big margin i think exactly um talking about the tour um i think we have to talk about fingergaard uh, in a time trial a lot of people um accused him of doping just because he he rode a fast tt like as you were in the peloton you have a better view on how insane that performance is can you tell a bit more like what you think about that well i think it's one of the biggest achievements has ever been on a bike in the last uh the last 20 years um i think uh probably everything went perfect probably um but it's a bit silly to tell it strange when guys say yeah it's doping is it just one day or i don't think there's something that can make you so much better in, <laughs> in one yeah. day so uh, I think that's a bit silly, but uh, I think it's performance. Um, we talked about it. I think the final climb he did, if we 
I talked about it with other cyclists and if we um the watts per kilo he produced and we uh we put it to our weight and we said yeah maybe we can do it like four minutes and we <laughs> and we're out so <laughs> so it was really 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 impressive performance and it shows what kind of an incredible athlete he is um and i think to uh other uh gc riders who want to match him they will uh they will have a big task to uh try to complete the gap i like i think ue is already a very professional team but jumbo that's just another level like if you saw how um fingergat was taking that corners how we how he sits on a time trial bike that's yeah almost our perfection eh? it was perfection yeah. what they did uh i think maybe Every guy has sometimes in his career when he say yeah, this was the perfect day where everything went as planned. And I think for him, for him, that was a day. I think uh, uh, it's clear they invested a lot of time and energy in the, in the TT. Um, and if you, if you beforehand, you know, everything is right and you have the legs and the super shape, then you can have some kind of some days that you, uh, you just smash smash out all your uh, all your competitors and yeah it's like you said it's art it's um you you can't expect him to do it the same every every two to france which and you can yeah. you can see uh the time trial like this which you know, you can't even when he starts normally last years there's a bit of a a consensus when you know, we we'll start too hard. We see guys starting at their TT, and they immediately immediately go to their arrow position just to make sure they never go above above the targeted uh, the target watch. And now, when uh, Jonas uh, launched, I say, oh, he starts really hard. I think after yeah. in the first corner, he already took two seconds at uh, at Pogacar at that hole. He really, I, th- I I thought, oh, now he, he he's a bit uh he's a bit off pace, but he just kept that pace for twenty uh, k. So it was uh, yeah, it was a piece of art, and uh, you can only respect what have you can only admire what he did, and say the numbers he produced on a TT bike, which is also quite quite hard. Um, it's not easy to produce the same watch on a TT bike as on a as on a normal road bike, it demands a lot of training, a lot of core sessions, a lot of because it's really hard to go in that position uh, to transfer power from your back into your legs. Um, so they did everything. I think they made they tried to make a perfect plan, and somehow he managed to cope with the perfect plan. And then you have those brilliant results. And because like um, he never blew up in the in the time trial, but at the at the finish line, he was completely empty. So he he like exactly empty, emptied himself for the yeah, TT. And, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, like like you said, it was the, I think it was a perfect TT. It's the yeah you know I it's really hard to pace. Sometimes it's it seems easier than it thinks, but to time to pace time trial right where you just run out of energy at the at the finish line, it's really hard. And now that it's everything perfect, is like his, 
his, his bike handling, his, his positioning, it's, everything was 100% correct. And then you can uh, blow away your competitors. And um, I uh, read that um, he had the same um, CDA as, uh, as Remco. That's how arrow you are on the bike, 0 0.15. That's yeah. <laughs> very low. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. Now what we want to see is a time trial battle between Remco and Vingard at top level. Um, I think uh, Remco always, always was by far the most aero, aerodynamic cyclist on a TT bike. And now if uh, Vingard produces the same CDA numbers, then I'm really curious whether... Yeah, I'm curious for the battle in Volta. I think Remco has a bigger chance than, uh, than Vingard just because of the preparation. But uh, when they're both in top, top, top shape, I'm curious. Yeah, me too. And you also have uh, Juan Ayuso uh, going to the Vuelta. He, um, in the Tour de Suisse, he had one bad day and he was dropped, so he didn't win GC. Um, but two days later, I think, on high altitude, he also uh, produced insane numbers and he's only 20. So that's, yeah, another uh, good competitor for the Vuelta. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Ayuso, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, of course, he's one of the one of the big names in town. Um, I just, but of course, I can be wrong, but I think he, first he needs to win, have the experience to win in one-week races before he can go for a three-week race. I think he will fight for the podium, but I'm curious if he if he gets in the lead, which is which is possible, it's also the factor how you cope with the stress and the pressure of defending uh, lead the jersey is also important. Again, it's not only about pushing the watts because he has the watts. That's one hundred percent sure. But it's also all those guys, all those leaders of the teams, they have the ability to win uh, stage races. It's just at one point it matters how you can cope with stress from press from your teammates how you handle with those bad days because everyone will have one one or two bad days how you hide it how you and i think for ayuso maybe we should um, he, he has not yet shown he's a real winner he has the talent he has the capacity to be one of the biggest heroes in cycling oh. but to expect immediately to win a three-week GC, I think it's a bit hard. Definitely against guys as Roglic, who wins yeah. almost every stage race he starts. Against Remco, who also wins or goes for a win every race he starts. And those guys have, like, mentally and also with the experience, they have a little bit of advantage, I think, in just next to the physical capacities, which might be the same. They have that other part that now they have more experience in it. So I think that will be for a usual uh, a question mark how he handles with it. I also think that uh, like uh, a user will never be a super one week um, race rider. Like he's obviously going to win some in his career if you see how he rides. Um, but he seems like the type of guy that has very good fatigue resistance that copes with a with a 
Grand Tour winner, then his competitors like he just never his watts never drop off or almost not drop off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. He has he has the physical capacities, and if it was if I had my own world team and I had unlimited budget, I also try to to buy him because you know he has it in him. But there's still yeah, he has to prove. He also is mentally ready, or he has the capacities of to to really uh, lead out the team to to the victory. So, uh, but I'm a believer, but I just don't think he will be ready for this. He will be re- he will be ready, but I don't think I think Remco and uh, Roglic will be one step ahead of him in uh, in GC. Okay, um, like also one of the of the reasons that I like Ayuso is. His perseverance, like last year, the the stage where uh, Hoglic took time on Remco, um, he had a mechanical and he um, had to go further on a Shimano bike, and he just all the other riders would like suffer from that, but he just rode on the yeah. same at the same pace uh, on the Shimano <laughs> bike. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then you're mentally then you're mentally prepared for uh, <laughs> for hard battles if you have the. The confidence to go all out on a Shimano bike from the that comes from the Shimano cars, then you don't break easily mentally. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And it's going to be, I think, the best Grand Tour this year. Like Vingegaard normally is a level higher, as you uh, said earlier. But yeah, the, the tour with uh, the combo with the tour is, isn't exactly easy. Like he isn't going to do. Uh, the altitude uh, camp, obviously, because yeah, he needs to recover from the tour first. But the Vuelta is already starting in the month, so it's yeah, not easy. That's for me the biggest question: how they will handle it. Um, if he does now, if he now goes for the win in Vuelta, I think other teams will have no idea how they can beat him in the future. Um, now it's clear you need to do your altitude camp. As close as possible to your uh, to the start of your Grand Tour, um, and now he has, the, of course, he had a, a huge effort block during Tour de France, but now you can't say he's off the bike. But this is now for the moment he's not resting. He's going from one celebration party to another, and uh-huh. men- mentally it's also that's not that's not taking a break. Cause you're from morning till evening, you're in a car or in a plane, or you have to be all the time have to be at events and it's not relaxing. So you can't say he will be super fresh. Um, and then you need to start training again because yeah, this this level of cycling needs to in this kind of cycling every every detail has to be correct. Um, so I was already surprised he didn't he didn't go on altitude. I thought he would go he would leave this weekend probably with the family so they can have some time together. But he stays at home. So normally that will cost him some percentages. Um, so I'm really curious how it will uh, work out. Uh, and that's also why I think Robic will be the final leader of uh, of the Jumbo team. Yeah, I'm also very curious. Uh... Yeah, to see how first how they are going to handle that with, with Jonas the training, but also how they are going to handle that with, with Roglic, because like last year's uh, tour, it was tough for uh, Roglic with his crash, then he needed to domestic for Jonas, like he likes Jonas, so he 
didn't seem to think that was uh, that he didn't like that but it always hurts to domestique if you are such a big uh, star as Roglic is I think of course but it will be talked through with the team eh? and cases like that if it's if it's not uh, determined before the start of the race it always I would say it it takes care of themselves during the race all kinds of situations happens and then you need to focus to, at one certain moment okay uh, or Roglic or Vingard lost due to whatever one or two minutes and then you must be able to switch um, it's not that one of them will have to pull from uh, from kilometer zero they will yeah. always be in the final um, and then you can always play with them it's better to have a teammate with you in the final uh, but it's not that because I I never expect one of them has to do will have to do an effort before the final so in the end it won't really matter and then one of the two will break or will lose time because of circumstances or because lack of fitness and then you can switch I'm talking about uh, Grand Tours. I was convinced you uh, did a Vuelta once, but apparently I was uh, I was wrong. Um, but like, how hard is it to uh, to do a Grand Tour like um, a type like you or a, or a Tim de Klerk, like guys who need to ride on the front in sprint stages, um, but need to survive in mountain stages? Uh, basically, no day off. Yeah. Okay. So I. I haven't done a Grand Tour, but I did races like Dauphiné and Tirreno, and so I can compare a bit. Um, I think now the level of the staff of the teams and the level of training is so high that normally if you don't crash or you don't get sick, normally you're always able to finish a Grand Tour. Of course, you're going to suffer, but now you also see there's not so many dropouts. If you're a guy abandoned the race, it's always because of a crash or he got sick. Um, what, what can and the luck for us, Tim was Tim is a bad Tim was a better climber than I am now. No, definitely because I don't ride my bike anymore. But <laughs> but you know there are always sprinters in the team that climb less. There are lesser climbers than you, so you always know. Um, uh, for example, but with all respect for him, like Grunewegen, this year he climbed quite well in the tour, but I did race with him where you know he drops way ahead of you and you know the team will wait for him. So you will normally, you don't have to stress to get in time. Um, but what is uh, a factor for us, what's quite uh, annoying is on some easier stages when the peloton has an easy day, and you, you have to pull all day, that makes a big difference. I yeah. know uh, uh, Lampard told me once, three years ago during the tour, they had four or five really hard stages. And then there was a quite easy stage, but he had to pull to defend the jersey of Alaphilippe. All they had went. The whole peloton was relaxed, and Eve had to pull all day, again, kill himself, and then the next day when they race again, then of course, you feel the difference between having a rest day and pulling all day. Um, that's why it's important for me also when I was in domestic and I had to pull. The moment the job is done, you just swing out and you go relax to the finish line. 
and some guys really want to stay in the bunch but when your job is done take every second you take you can to recover to be fresh for the next stage even if it's uh, even if it's for, it's for only 10k but you just yeah nobody cares how much time you lose i think most most of my races i think i never finished except when i was lead out with all the other times i never finished in a bunch i did my job i went all out the last time my last effort and then i sprung off and then i went as slow as possible to the finish line and nobody nobody cares if you're 50th or 70th or 160th nobody cares so it's, but that's in those moments you can take your uh, your minutes your active recovery and in the end of a week when you have it, it did uh, it, it cost maybe it's uh, it's maybe the difference between trying to follow the peloton for one hour so six times ten minutes to follow all out when they go to the sprint or you can just relax and that can make a difference in the end um, and i think that's how if you do a grand tour and you're not a bad climber that's how you try to survive you know you're going to suffer during the mountain stages but when your job for the team is done you can drop you can go as easy as possible to the to the finish line like uh, an example um for a heavier rider in a grand tour um jonas Rickard, he said he uh, weighs 88 kilos at the moment so i i can't understand how you can uh, ride a mountain stage uh, and then the day after do a lead out like how can you still have the energy because he did a few uh, strong lead outs this tour like that's yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Was really strong in lead out um, yeah again but yeah Jonas first of all yes he has a great he has a huge engine yeah? and then again in the they um during the real mountain stage. Now, this year, there were a lot of mountain stages where you had the first part of 80K quite flat and then finished with two uh, two mountains. So, you know, if you arrive on the first mountain in the bunch, you can take it quite slow. And then they, uh, they climb at, yeah, around aerobic threshold because they know the real, the real sprinters will suffer more than they do. And it's still a hard stage, but they will never be completely dead until in the end you see the last mountain stages they struggle more than other riders because when they race and it's uphill race they uh, burn more sugar they produce more lactates the body has to recover more so in the end it's also hard for them but it's not that they have to kill themselves every mountain stage um. And the uh, stage, um, the first climb uh, of the day, uh, Rickard did like 35 minutes at uh, 450 watts. And that's like the first climb of the day. And then you have to, then there are another six, seven climbs coming. That's, yeah, so tough. Yeah, but it's, it's not easy for those guys. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not, they, it's not, they're not going, uh, I just said they don't kill themselves, but it's still, they have to produce the numbers. Right? They still have to be in top shape to be able to do this every day, uh, day in, day out. Um, but it's true that problems also, the, the climbers now, yeah, they go so fast. So you need to level up to, to make sure you get time cuts. Um, 
but yeah, that's why you train months and months and months to be, and then you're able to have that level. Um, but yeah, but normally, uh, yeah, like I said, if you if you had a good preparation, you went on altitude, you did what you could. The food is good. The recovery strategies are all right, and you don't get sick or you don't crash. Then normally, you will suffer, but you will get to the finish line. Um, going to another topic now, the uh, World Championships. Um, in uh, Quicksap last year, there were two very interesting riders, in my opinion, Honoré and uh, Schmidt. Schmidt is um, Honoré is now at uh, at EF. They seem two riders that can win classics, but uh, I feel like they have a, a better potential than the, what they are showing. How you 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 know more about them because yeah. You rode in a team with them? I think Mikael, two years ago, he was really impressive. Um, I think when he finished third in Plouvet, um, those months he was, yeah, and I think it was a goal to, at that moment, it was a goal to launch him as a classics rider because he really showed in the one-day races. In the, in the second part of the season, he was really world level. Um, but then... I can't remember. I don't know if he, because I think in the end, last year he didn't. I think he didn't race in spring season. I don't know what happened, but I, I can't remember. I was in classics with him. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but somehow, yeah, somehow did it. He didn't make it. I he didn't. Uh, he don't have the level he has. He had two years ago. Um, and now in EF, I think they are. They don't have that real classic vibe because that's also a strength of the team when you really have the focus on classics. Um, it produces something, something extra. It's hard to explain, but the tension and the, but positive tension towards those classics in the team also, yeah, it's it gives an atmosphere that makes you want to. Uh, Makes you want to push it extra hard. So, but I don't, I, I don't know what, what went wrong with Mikel. And then Mauro, I think Mauro clearly has the potential to be a classic rider. He has the physical abilities. Um, if I was the team, I would have put him in uh, to the Flanders selection this year because I think he's yeah. made for that classic. Um, the only problem with Mauro is physically he has everything he. He has everything a classic rider needs to have, but again, he's not so strong in uh, positioning. He's a bit, when it's stressful in the bunch, sometimes it's, if he has space, he can go so fast, but when it's a bit hectic in the bunch, he quite easily loses the wheel of, of, uh, of, of his teammates. Um, and in other classics, in races like A3 or Grasjo Vlaanderen, where the race is decided on one point, that's really important. Um, to the planners, when it's more the fatigue, that um, it's just about fatigue resistance and your physical capacities, and less about the way how you move in a peloton, in a bunch. So I think in Tour de France, you would have a chance. Um, um, but still, to beat guys like Pogacar and Van der Poel and Van Aert, 
yeah, it's still another level, but I think he must be able to do a top 10 in those, uh, in those big one day classes. It also seems to me that um, maybe I'm wrong that he doesn't train a lot, maybe a bit too less, because like his, uh, yeah, his volume, uh, he shares everything on Strava. It's just not that much. And he always seems to get better uh, after stage races. So could that be a thing or? Well, normally, I... <laughs> Actually, I don't follow. <laughs> I don't follow him on Strava, so I, I don't really know what he does. What he does for the moment, but normally when you have your team camps, and I, you should think normally the team follows, I follows him up every, uh, follow, follows everything, and I think yeah, he has a trainer from the team, so normally they know what they are doing. Um, so it's quite, I'm saying, uh, yeah, it's quite new to me actually. Um, I just think, yeah. I just think it's because of his. Maybe indeed he doesn't get a. Um, he, he doesn't get as tired as other riders during races. Possible, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know a real explanation for uh, for that. Another interesting rider, I think, uh, who. Won a Giro stage this year, uh, Brandon McNulty. I think I, I, he has uh, the, poten- the potential too to be like really good in Ronde uh, of Vlaanderen, but also uh, like like he's that type that can do both, I think, because he's not very light, but he has such big watts that he can uh, climb. Uh, that he still can climb, but uh, because he has those big watts, he can also uh, ride very well in uh, in Flemish classics, like he in the 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 race Remco won, uh, Brussels Cycling Classic. I think the race was a bit tougher in 2021, and he also uh, rode a good race there. So I don't think positioning and, uh, is a problem. So I don't understand why uh, UAE doesn't. Um, put him in classics more like or uh, world championship like a really tough race I think that suits him perfectly yeah and definitely with the level now you see since the change of the um, of the circuit of Tour of Flanders nobody would expect it five years ago that a guy like Paulus or a guy like Mariwas would have been a guy to to produce results at Tour of Flanders and now it's changed. Now it's now it has changed. Um, just the level is so high, and now more and more the lighter guys. The problem is the more heavy guys, they do burn more glucose. They do. They, in the end of the race, they just get they're getting more tired than the more light guys. So I think it's it, indeed a guy like Magnolti, who has the potential. It's not. He has the potential in. Uh, how he rode, uh, I think, last year in Tour de France. That uh, was insane, lovely head. Uh, so, indeed, he would have a, he could go for his chance in, uh, in a race like Tour de Flanders. I don't know if he does the Worlds. It will also be a good check now how he doesn't do it. Um, but it also, yeah, every team has his own goals. And for some teams, it's they focus on the stage races or they focus. Uh, for us, Tour de Flanders, uh, Tour de Flanders is a really important race. But like races as, for example, Dwarf de Flanders, some teams, they don't really 
we don't really care about it. It's just because we are in Flanders, we think it's the big, one of the biggest races in the, of the calendar. And so maybe they think, okay, you focus on Giro and you do the perfect build-up towards towards those races. Um, but if he was in a, let's say he was he, he was in Lotto or he was in Quickstep or he was in Alpecin, yeah, definitely he would be in the classic squads and uh, to check what he what he's able to. Yeah, I think he would be an interesting uh, signing for Quickstep. Actually, he could be. Uh, the perfect domestique for Remco in the Tour, and he could combine that with a with a classic season. Uh, Indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's one of the guys that's really interesting. Yeah, that, those are the guys with races. It seems like every year races getting harder and harder, and then in the end, the bigger guys <laughs> they they have uh, every year they have less races to show themselves. And if you're a team and you you want to. Uh, uh, if you know every year the races get harder, a guy like McNulty is a dream guy to have the team because, like you say, he has all capacities. He knows how to climb, which is probably the most important for the moment. And then he has, uh, he still has the capacity to go in one day race to go out. Um, so I would definitely ask, ask his price, but I think he's pretty quite expensive. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a quite expensive price. <laughs> and he deserves it. Um, another thing um, I didn't ask about uh, Grand Tours uh, yet. Um, I find it mind blowing how riders can still uh, produce the numbers they do in, in week three. Like um, a personal thing, if I'm really really tired from cycling, uh, when I really went um, completely empty, I really don't sleep well. Like, how can a rider sleep well and recover in a, in a Grand Tour? Well, yeah, what you need to know is as soon as the race finishes, everything, the only thing that matters is recovery. So, the let's say the, the race finishes at 5 o'clock. 10 minutes later, you're in the bus. And uh, until the next day in the morning, it's all about recovery. Um, firstly, with of course, with excuse me, with uh, with feeding strategies. Um, but once your body your body has again the energy to recover, then most of the guys already sleep in the bus for yeah, most of the time. Transfer is like an hour, one hour and a half. A lot of guys just already sleep for one hour and a half. Um, and then during the night, yeah, what you saw the whoop whoop files. During the Tour de France, yeah, most of the guys sleep six hours and a half, seven hours and a half. Um, it's not perfect, but again, you're you train for months and for months for those uh, for for the race, and the body adapts. You at some point you don't uh, you don't have the hours to sleep, but you sleep. Your sleep quality is still quite okay. Um, so that compensates a bit. And then, of course, when they are at home now, two days after the tour, they all crash because now the body realizes, okay, it's over. Uh, but somehow, a body is able to, as long as you have the, as long as you have the focus, a body is is able to produce the same energy. And you know, uh, when it's you know when the race ended, your body will collapse. But 
that's problem for later. That's not during the race. Um, but you do everything. The only thing that you do everything to recover and you do everything to make your body ready for the next day. And 15 years ago or five years ago, there was a big difference. And now you see they, they know for the moment, it's like they know everything, how to manage everything to have a body ready for the next race day. And then you're able to, to, to race three weeks on a really high level. And talking about uh, whoop data too, I saw a comparison uh, between Meus and Philipsen. Um, and Meus slept nine hours before the Champs Elysees stage. I uh, and I thought, like, how can you can you squeeze that in in a in a Grand Tour? Yeah, it was late start. Eh? I don't know what yeah. they uh, <laughs> what they did, but uh, normally, yeah. But everybody has his own rhythm. Um, the Main problem with short suits, normally you have some days that you can only eat at 10 o'clock in the evening. And then, you know, you will have probably a short night. Um, but if you arrive in the right time in the hotel, you can have lunch. So you can have dinner at 8 o'clock. And then maybe you can sleep already at 10, 30, 11. And then if the race starts late, you can sleep till 10 o'clock if you want. So I don't know how it was with the transfer, but... It is possible. It's not possible every stage, but um, and some guys need it. Some guys, some guys are happy with when they have six or seven hours of sleep. Everybody has his own uh, has his own uh, preferences of sleeping hours and how to sleep and when to sleep. And this uh, was maybe one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, surprise in the in the Tour de France for for a lot of people, I think. Did you, yeah, you you were in the bunch with him. Obviously, did you know that he had that in him, or I didn't expect. I also, didn't expect him to win on Sunday. But when I saw when I was riding behind him, you see a powerful athlete. You see a nice style on the bike. His body is, yes, quite for a sprinter. He's still quite skinny. Or he's not super muscular. So you know he he's not the guy who will explode in the mountains. Um, so when you see him riding and you saw his prints, you know he has the potential. But I must admit, when they showed uh, when they uh, when it was announced he would replace Bennett, uh, he would go instead of Bennett to the Tour de France. It was a little surprise for me because it brings a lot of pressure to yeah. You have to replace the big guy of the team who has won already some stages at Tour de France. Um, and the most um, positive thing, I think, is his first sprint weren't good. But if you can recover from it and you win the biggest sprint of the year, then it shows you both physically as, as mentally you're, you're able to be a future top sprinter. Yeah, like... Um... I don't think he um, has the uh, abilities to beat Philips in the in the in the week one sprint, but because he is yeah so strong, he he has the he gets stronger uh, relative to the rest in in week two, week three from the Grand Tour. That's possible, yeah. Okay, and that shows his 
that's a really good sign for a guy in his first Grand Tour. He's still young, and it was his first Grand Tour, I think. So then you show you have the potential. If you're if you're not totally squeezed out after three weeks of racing, it shows your body can manage huge amount of stress. And um, uh, there's a big difference between ending a Grand Tour wasted, because then probably you won't recover for the rest of the season. But if you come out of a, a Grand Tour with such a sprint, then if now if he takes some rest, then probably I think his next races, next big race would probably be renewed tour. I don't know, but that would be a quite logical decision. Then he will, his sprints will uh, will improve. Not the only sprint to sell, but also his capacities to survive during the stages. He will get fresher and fresher, and I think with the tour in his legs, he will be. He will be able to win a lot of races in the next month. And, and uh, the last topic of uh, today, uh, the World Championships. Um, I don't know how you feel about that course, but I have the feeling that uh, because people just look at the at the altitude meters and at how much uh, kilometers there are, they think they think uh, not that hard of a race. But uh, a friend of mine uh, calculated how much corners there are. And uh, yeah, each 300 meters, a corner. That's yeah. I, yeah. I also I this morning also had an interview about the world championships. Um, but it's it's hard to count what's a corner, what's not a corner. But I come yeah. at about 50 corners a lap, 50 90 degree corners. So 10 left is 500 corners with some uh, with some small speed hills on it. Uh, the course is quite wide. So I don't know how they will do it with the fences, if they will narrow it, if they will keep it really wide. But still, I think it will be one of the hardest races of the year. I think chances of a bunch sprints are almost zero. I think um, I, I think it, I think if you look at top 10 of Tour of Flanders and top 10 of World Championships in Leuven, and you add Remco in it, then you will have the favorites for, uh, for the race. Um, uh, that's how I see it. Um, I think the moment they enter the local laps, if a if a if a team takes full control and they go all out for two laps, I think maybe they will end up with 20 guys or something like that. Because I think so many corners, the stress in the peloton, the I think once you're once you're in the back, I think your race is lost. And so I don't. I I think it will be yeah. Even in dry conditions, I think it will be a hell of a race. It will be so hard. Just yeah, you do 50 corners. It's, you know, it's like a criterion of 280k, so impossible. I think, um, yeah, you already made a comparison with Leuven. I think that was one of the hardest races in like the last 10 years. Um, I remember uh, Steve um, first did some work for uh, Wout van Aert. He closed gaps. And still um, got in the group for second at the end. Um, I was analyzing the uh, his file uh, because I'm going to be, uh, make a tweet about it. And he did 410 normalized power for six hours. That's yeah, I've never seen that. Insane, insane. I think you will have the same. Yeah, now I think I think the race won't open as soon as in Leuven. So I think they will. Unless if there's wind, because the first 120k is just open field, 
there are two climbs in it, but they're not really hard. But it's always open field, so if there's wind and they make echelons, it will be the hardest race ever. But if the weather is good, I think it will be quite easy until they go to the local laps. And then the last two hours and a half, it will be the hardest two hours and a half of the year, I think. I think, um, ah, I think guys like um, Mats Pedersen, Van Aert, maybe even Van der Poelp, um, like you said, they burn more energy because they are heavier riders. I think they might like, burn out of energy, like the last hour, and that we'll see more like Pogacar, Alaphilippe, Hirschi, those types to win it, I think. Yeah, I think... Um... Also, the Remco, I'm curious about Remco because normally yeah, Remco. when he, he trains, normally must be, yeah, his main goal is Vuelta. And um, normally, I would say, is uh, normally you would think he won't have the anaerobic skills to really produce all those sprints. Uh, so I'm curious how that will turn out. Maybe if he, go, if he again goes like last year, he, if he goes with an early attack and he can ride his own pace, because if the corners are wide, you can, as a leader, you can take them quite smoothly. Um, so that will be a question mark for me, how he will race. But then there are the other guys. I think it's still, it's on the limit, but I think it's still doable for Van der Poel and Van Aert. Because um, I think the race will split quite early. Um, but it's it will be lim- yeah it will be limits it's 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 hard to produce yeah say if you take top ten of Leuven it was a mix of classic riders and some climbers um, I just don't know if the real uh, the real climbers won't have the speed and the acceleration I think to uh, to survive the first splits uh, and then in the end I think you will have a mix from those strong strong climbers and uh, the classic riders and then uh, it will be interesting it's a really it's i think it's for trainers um it's one of the hardest races of the year to prepare a guy because uh, it's a race of 280k and still you need to be ready for a thousand of sprints and i'm really curious how they will how they will manage it like, yeah, that's um, what Alaphilippe suits best. But, yeah, the last few years, he hasn't been at that top, top level yet. He always, when he uh, won Imola and uh, Leuven, he showed uh, some of his best form in the Tour, but always, um, yeah, died out to the end of the Tour, but then had uh, that super compensation uh, at the World Championships. And, do you think he can now reproduce that, or is does he just doesn't have it anymore? I think two years ago, Alaphilippe was unbeatable on this race. Um, now, in the tour, you saw he tried. You can't say he wasn't good because in every stage with a hard start, yeah. he was in the break. But True, you yeah. saw he he raced like. He raced with the same mindset as he raced in his top years, but now you saw he didn't have the, the physical capacities to um, 
basically said um, said to catch up with all the attacks. He was he was too enthusiastic, and I think I think he won't have the level to be uh, to become world champion. I think um, I was a bit in the past when he attacked in races. He saw he immediately could uh, make gap, and now he saw when he attacked guys could follow him and they could counter him and then he had to sit down and then hoping to be the last one for the gap and be like that in the break. Um, so I'm afraid he won't have the level to become world champion. Um, it might be his best race of the year because I think the way he raced, yeah, he prepared himself the same way as he did before uh, before Leuven or before Imola. Yeah? He tried the same way. I think I think he won't have he won't have the level to become world champion. And uh, Mark Hirschi, that's another interesting name. I think he yeah he obviously has a potential too. Uh, he had a lot of bad luck the last two years, uh, but he now seems back to a uh, close to his top level. He uh, he won uh, a Spanish race like I can't remember the the name. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's and it was a very good performance because the watts were very high. Yeah. It was pretty insane, to be honest. Uh, do do you giving uh, give him a chance or? He's a, he's a strange guy. Yeah? Last year he's always really good. Um, the week before the Worlds, um, again, what he showed yesterday or it was yesterday, I think, again. Shows he has the potential to become uh, to be one of the best cyclists in the world. But problem with him is there's no consi- consistency in his in his uh, in his results and his uh, in his level. And again, this is it's a 280k race. I think that can make a difference. If you talk about still the history of his last year at uh, at Sunweb, again he would be one of the real Big favorites. Now it's still it's always with a, a slight doubt. You never know how good he will be. Um, does he have the potential to ride top ten? Yes, but I think for this world championship, I think we need to look at the five, six real big stars of cycling. Um, I think those are the, for the moment those are the or the biggest favorites to become world champion. And then I'm get always with guys like yeah, Pogacar, Van der Poel, Van Aert. Um, I don't know if uh, Mohoric will ride, but he also oh. won't ride. And uh, I think we get uh, Paulus again, Van Baarle. Those are the guys I think that will be... Uh, uh, those were the guys I think from the other main favorites. Talking about Mohoric, uh, he was my... F- um, he was the guy that I thought was going to be world champion and then he said he isn't going to ride because he feels like he doesn't have the level but like how can he how can he think that's after this tour yeah <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you can do it if you can produce a tour like like Mahori did you always have the level and he showed already so much class in his career and I was already surprised in his interview I was already surprised a guy like him suffered in the bunch. <laughs> I always thought <laughs> I was the guy who <laughs> I was the guy who was suffering. But uh, so he's such a good rider, and I think I hope he changed his mind because 
he really and on this course he has the yeah it would be one of the favorites but of course yeah. men also mentally he had his spring season then the with the death of me that it's also it cuts in your mental uh, mental yeah. capacities then to the france again three weeks where you really need to go where you need where you really need to push it every day um so i can understand they say yeah the world's it's a bit too too much for me um but i hope it changes his mind because on paper it looks like he's one of the also one of the one of the guys who can finish off and it would be a nice world champion also so uh, like uh, what you said the race is a uh, is yeah tougher and longer than most races uh yeah that exists uh but that's exactly what Moritz is good at like he he can yeah, keep course. riding it's yeah uh, it's this is this this is going to be harder than or at the same level as the as the monumental classics it's 280k it's uh it's six hours of racing uh it there there not there aren't so many guys in the peloton that have the level to to produce the watts for for almost six hours it's um then it's a bit so then it's a bit of a shame he he won't start this yeah, you saw in the classics is also one of the when it's to the flanders or roubaix is always one of the big yeah he's always there in the final so i don't see why he why it's bizarre for me that he says that he won't have the level because they are maybe in the world on such a course i don't think there are seven guys better than him so And if you have to say uh, one name for the World Championship, who, who do you think it will be? I still go for Wout. Because I know it, it, it is indeed possible, like you say, he will be he will be in trouble in the last hour because of his higher weight and his, uh, yeah, that he burns more, more glucose, more energy. But I think he got off at Tour de France in the right moment. Now he has some some days to recover. Um, with his freshness, is um, yeah, it's all about, yeah, to be technical. It's all now again. It's all about uh, VLA Max. With his freshness, it will rise again. So it, explosivity will will um, will rise, and I think that will be. And with the, all the corners and the. Uh, the short tails and the so I think for me is the main favorite and I really hope he can uh, I really hope he can become world champion. I think everyone would love that and yeah um, maybe we saw it in uh, it's not comparable with both worlds but um, his uh, first uh, son um, he got energy out of that to uh, to win the the Belgian. Uh, championships in cyclocross he was he looked like he didn't slept uh, slept for for weeks but he still won yeah, the race yeah. maybe uh maybe he can say get the same energy for uh for glasgow but that's something really strange what how uh environmental uh factors can affect your physical abilities um we always say also a cyclist that's in love he always rides five percent harder, and the same with the birth of your of your um, with a with a kid. The first weeks you fly, 
think uh, I had the same when my daughter was born. It was uh, two or three days before Bing Bang uh, two years ago. And it started with, with an Ashland stage. And I think everybody said it was a really hard stage and I, it was like I didn't have to push my pedals it just because of the the the, uh, the the happiness you get from from the birth of your own kid it really can make a difference as long as you can sleep enough and you <laughs> it, uh, so let's hope it can uh, it, it can be an extra factor because happiness if you feel happy outside of cycling it also affects your results that's uh nice one uh, to end uh, the podcast i think um that's a wrap for uh, today's uh, episode uh, if you want to see even uh, more what's um type in uh, hashtag domestic data on twitter to see uh, analyzes from uh, races i i did and thank you to the guests of today uh, stein steels yep you're welcome I've got the sparse, the sickness, there's the twins in my brain.